We're now at the end of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6, and the latter part, reading from verse 10. It's been a, again, refreshing look at Ephesians. I think somebody said before that, you know, sometimes we read these books and we think we know them (laughs) until we read them again and we realise we don't know half as much or quarter as much as we thought we did. Let's read it together first and then we'll, we'll make our comments afterwards. So it's reading from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through to the end. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armour of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armour of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak but that you also may know about my circumstances, that I am what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Now this section, of course, follows on from the ministry that Ian gave uh, last week where we were looking at children and parents and also uh, servants and masters. And then it comes having looked at that and how we should conduct ourselves correctly before the Lord, then he comes finally in verse 10. He then directs us to the rather important subject of the power of Satan. A lot of people, I think, have the the idea that once you become a Christian uh, and you are in Christ and you have your future secure that life is 
sometimes or should be pretty straightforward and uh, comfortable because we have the power of the Lord with us. That's not the case entirely. What Paul was directing us here to and directing the Church of God in Ephesus was that there's a tremendous power out there that we should never forget. In fact, it's rather important that we understand that what we are uh, being confronted with is not what we might immediately think is the problems that we get with each other or the problems we get with unsafe people. The problems are not flesh and blood. So in other words, what he's saying, don't worry too much about your interaction or your problems with humans. It's the satanic ones that you need to be concerned with. It's Satan that we need to concern ourselves with because he is the prince, the power of the air. He is the ruler of this world at the moment. And therefore, what Paul is saying is that that there is going to be conflict. Because unless you submit to Satan, he's going to have a go at you. And of course, if we are subjecting ourselves to the, uh, the direction that God wants us in Christ, if we are seeking to be righteous and holy, if we are seeking to be the saints of God on earth, and we are seeking to fulfill priesthood service, then we are going to have conflict because Satan is against that. He's against anything that's pro-God. So if we go down that route, expect conflict. So in contrast to that, you might well say, well, if you don't get any conflict, then it's because we're not righteous. <laughs> we are not seeking to be like Christ. We are not seeking to be obedient to God. And if we're not doing that, then Satan will leave it alone. <clears throat> it might then make you think, well, <laughs> if I want a, a carefree, non-confrontational life, the easiest <coughs> thing to do is to just uh, keep quiet, keep low, keep your head down. <laughs> but that's not what Paul is saying here. That's not what God wants. He is saying, put on the armour of God. Because we have been called for a purpose. And we'll go through that in a minute as to what the purpose is. We are being called to show forth the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you do that, that's going to make Satan angry. And Satan's going to have a go at you. So how do you combat that? So whilst in all the earlier chapters that we've discussed, thought about in, in, in Ephesians about the, the beauty of the oneness of the body of Christ and uh, the coming together of Jews and Gentiles and the uniqueness of the body and the, the future purposes of God for that body. It's beautiful for us to think about all these things and to rejoice in them and to come together as one in Christ seeking to fulfill the purposes of God. And then at the end, he hits you. <coughs> it's like he hits you right in the solar plexus. He said, yeah, but you're going to have conflict. But that should not deter us because he is not a God that leaves us alone.
to resolve and try and overcome these problems. But he's warning us this, it's not flesh and blood to worry about. It's a struggle against evil. And therefore, the armour of the Lord, the armour of God, is essential. It's indispensable. It says in verse 10 that we should be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's interesting that when you go back to, if you remember, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19 and 20, it says, And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It's the same words, the same language that he used at the beginning of his letter that he's using again. And what he is saying is that the power of Satan is evident and it's something we have to be prepared for. It's something we have to defend against. It's something we also have to attack. But we need to know about it. You're naive, Paul's saying here, if you think you can just drift through Christian life and not have conflict. But what he's also saying here is that the power that God used in raising Christ from the dead is the power that he's offering to us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. There is no way we can withstand the power of Satan on our own. That is naive. If you think that you can withstand what he is going to attempt to do to you, his, his job, his role, his desire is to take you and I away from the things of God. He does not want people to follow God. He does not want people to be Christ-like. He is evil. He's also powerful. And he's extremely powerful. And uh, he's the ruler of the world. And the Lord spoke about him in many times in his teaching. In John chapter 12 and 14 and 16, you can read about what the Lord said about Satan. And he was warning also. So what Paul was speaking about here was not new. <laughs> he was reiterating the words of the Lord is that this guy, this guy, Satan, is not somebody that we should belittle. He's not something we should mock. He's not somebody who's got a little tail with the funny ears that, 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 that this world tried to depict him as some comical character. He is a <coughs> beautiful angel, and he is evil, and he is powerful, and he is against us. That power is something we need to recognise first. The fact that he's wicked, um, we can see that again in the reading of the scriptures. And right at the very beginning, of course, when he attacked uh, Adam and Eve, he caused division. He questioned the word of God. He divided in order to rule. Sin come in and he is powerful. Uh, he is somebody 
who you can see that when the Lord Jesus Christ came, we often marvel at the number of times you read in the Gospels where the Lord Jesus Christ came up against evil spirits. And you sometimes think, why, why do we not see them today? Well, maybe there's two reasons. One, that I think, was that Satan was well aware of the purposes of God. And he was well aware as to why Christ was there and the purposes in obedience to the will of God that the Lord Jesus Christ had come. And he was doing his utmost to prevent Christ going to the cross. He was doing his utmost to drag people away from believing in him. And so you see the power of Satan being wrought to bear against Christ. <coughs> and you see the power also when the temptation of the Lord, you know, the, the Satan had the audacity to say to, to Christ, you know, um, you can have all of this world, it's mine. Uh, you can have it all if you'll just become my number two. And you think, well, he, in some ways he wasn't lying in that respect. He, he was so powerful, he could offer that. But you see the subtlety of Satan there. Powerful enough to tempt the Son of God. And then his cunningness. Um, I think that one of the problems that I have, and I'm sure you have the same, is sometimes you don't recognise Satan uh, attacking you and interfering in your life sometimes until it's too late. And you look back and you think, ah, I failed there. If I'd been a little bit more on the ball, if I'd been a little bit more of the armour of God on me, I could have withstood that. And you've fallen for whatever reason, whatever way, see that he's so cunning it was hidden it was well packaged and it seemed all right at the time I mean, you've probably had these experiences as well and you just feel so sad that you've upset the lord again and you've let him down because once again satan's got in satan can also he can be a lion he's referred to in peter as a roaring lion, he's so powerful, and uh, he can be frightening, and he can be something, as I say, that you cower from, and you don't want to face up to, and that's what he wants. But of course, he can also be a serpent. We saw in the Garden of Eden, he's subtle. It's only with God's power that we can resist this. In verse 12, it talks about, uh, well, in some versions, it talks about the struggle is against principalities and powers. In my Bible, it talks about uh, against rulers, against the powers, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's all around us. And whilst we see and read and see things on the television, we see things all around us and it just speaks of evil and it's being perpetrated by man but it's Satan that's behind it all and the power he has got in the heavenly places that is being there's a war being waged constantly between good and evil 
and Satan thinks he's winning. And if you look at the world, you think, well, you've got justification there because we see so much evil around us and Satan behind it all. But it's not against flesh and blood that we need to worry, and this is why we need to come. And they come to verse 13, and that's when Paul then says, look, take up, take up the full armour of God, that you may be able to resist the, in the evil day. When is the evil day? Well, it's the day when Satan's attacking you. So it's now. And Satan never stops. He might leave you alone for a bit, and then he'll have another go at another time. He usually waits till you're weak, uh, when you're at your most vulnerable, because he's so cunning. But what Paul is saying here, take, there is on offer, the armour of God. And he's, of course, using, and I think that one of the commentaries that I read suggests, and I've no reason to uh, dispute it, that that here Paul was writing in prison and the suggestion were that in these days a lot of these prisoners were chained to soldiers and that he might have spent a lot of time uh, with a soldier right next to him when he was even doing these writings and a lot of time in prison and he could see this soldier who would presumably be dressed in his soldier's uniform and he would have some first-hand knowledge if you like of the armour of the day. And of course, when he's now writing here, he's talking about uh, the armour that the soldiers would wear when they go into battle. And he's liking that to the battle that we have against Satan in our Christian lives. And he starts off by talking about, and my Bible, it talks about the, this old fact, gird up your loins. Uh, I think in the new NIV, it's put on the belt. Uh, put on the belt of truth. The idea, of course, the loins were the, the flowing robes that people used to wear 2,000 years ago in order to, if you wanted to get into action, if you wanted to be active and do things, then you had to gather your skirts up and, and tuck them under your belt in order to free your legs to uh, be more mobile. Um, so when it talks about uh, this girding up your loins, that's it's referring to maybe what we would call tighten your belt uh, and to get ready for action. But it's referred to as the, uh, the belt of truth. Because gird up your loins with, with truth or tighten your belt with truth. What's the importance of that and, and I think what Paul is referring to here is the importance of that if you're going to be active for God, then the truth is all important. Because the truth is the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And you read in John 8, the Lord spoke about that and was nearly stoned for it. Because they absolutely hated what he was saying. That he was in fact the truth. He was in fact from God and he was revealing God in his life. So if we are going to even start to put on the armour and start to be living active Christians, then the first thing we need to be sure of is have we the truth? Now there is reference to 
um, the truth of doctrine, but there's also like the truth of sincerity. And I think we can put these together. We shouldn't separate these things because it's all about Christ. And what Christ showed was he was showing in his life here as a man, he was showing God and the truth that he is absolute perfection, that everything he did and said was from God and it's all about truth. And when we talk about truth, we shouldn't be picking and choosing the bits that we like, but the truth is all to be focused on Christ. He is the truth. So what he says, what he did and does, what he says and speaks and reveals in his word is truth. So whilst we sometimes get into difficulties with interpreting scripture as we sometimes talk about it, is the answer to that, of course, is to come back to Christ. That might sound a bit simplistic, but you think, well, if we're looking at doctrine and we are thinking purely of doctrine, we can get tied up in knots sometimes with uh, trying to uh, work out what this means and what that means and how it ties up together. If we have a sincerity, of a, a, a perfect sincerity, that what we are seeking is only truth and what we are seeking is only God and what we are seeking is what Christ revealed of God and that we have absolute honest uh, sincerity then I believe and the scriptures teach that we will have that revealed to us now you might think well that again is a little bit simplistic but if we go to God I believe and, and say I don't understand certain things I don't understand why we should go down this road this other road looks fairly much easier and we could sort of interpret scripture enough to justify it. I believe God will reveal in his holy, by his Holy Spirit whether that is something that he wants and he will help us in the revelation through the Holy Spirit within us uh, to know the truth and to, if we're sincere about it. <coughs> The second thing that we are asked to pick up on is the breastplate of righteousness. Um, you read about that in Isaiah 59. The, um, it's about the righteous relationship with God. It's also two things. The righteousness that we put on, which is Christ. <clears throat> when we go into battle, and the soldier went into battle, he put a breastplate on. And that was obviously to prevent him uh, from being injured by the enemy. Uh, pretty obvious. But there was no back to it. <laughs> and, of course, the idea was the soldier should face the enemy and not turn round and run <laughs> because his back was exposed. And if you turn round, then you're maybe more in danger of being killed. So the breastplate was put on the breast uh, to cover you as you went forward. It was righteousness. 
Righteousness, I don't know whether it gets spoken enough about in our lives. How important is righteousness in our Christian lives? Again, there's two ways of looking at it. One is that we have the righteousness of Christ. Um, and we can put his righteousness on. Because if we're going to come before Satan on our own righteousness, he's going to have a field day. <laughs> because he can pick holes in all our lives, I'm sure. We are a sinful people, we fail, we have no power, and we have no righteousness of our own. So there is no defense against Satan. But we put on the righteousness of God. And that is what our protection is. And I think this is where Paul, I think, again, in each one of these uh, pieces of armor, He's saying the same thing. You can't do this on your own. You have to take up Christ. You have to put it on. You have to put him on. And it's almost, it's an ongoing daily uh, ritual, if I can call it that, that we need to involve ourselves in. Almost every morning you get up, you're dressing yourself like this. And you think, I need to be prepared. Satan's going to have a go at me. And I need to have the righteousness of God. And therefore, how do you physically do that? Well, in each of these items that we're putting on, um, we are focusing, or God, or Paul is inviting us to focus on and in actually physically taking up and putting on, we are aware and effectively that we are putting on Christ all the time and that we need him and he is our defence against Satan. <clears throat> the third thing was the feet. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So shod, shod your feet, <laughs> put on shoes. Um, put on something on your feet. What is, again, Paul directing us to here is that, well, what do we use shoes for? We, well, we need, we need that as protection because when we, we're going somewhere, we are walking, we are active. That's what our feet are for, that we go forward. And in an army situation, you protect your feet. You make sure your feet are prepared so that you can stand firm. You need a good tread. <laughs> we talk about you getting shoes today. You want to be able to not slip. So get a good tread so you can stand firm. You can hold your ground. But also, you can move forward. And again, you can move positively. And uh, if your feet are shod properly, then you are, if in a soldier sense, you're able to go forward bearing your armour and going forward the role of a soldier and the role of a Christian soldier of course is to go forward with the gospel of Christ and in this one here it's, uh, it talks about the gospel of peace and that is something again that if we think about standing still it's the assurance of your salvation the standing still is getting yourself ready and prepared and if you don't have that assurance of salvation, if you don't have that joy of salvation, if you don't have that peace 
that this salvation that we have been given is so marvellous, it's so wonderful. And as we've spent time this morning, just again meditating on what it costs Christ, but what it's given us out of it all, that there is a peace. And although we're talking here about war, we're talking about a soldier preparing for battle, that there's an inward peace that we've got that we don't worry about the outcome because we have salvation. It's a little bit like we talk about the battle and the war. The war's won, but there's battles going on all the time. And sometimes we lose the battles because we're not prepared. But we have a peace that we won the war. Why? Because of salvation wrought by Christ at the cross. Then we go on to the, the shield of faith. Um, just running quickly through these now because uh, um, I, I was thinking about what aspect of a shield, you know, that a shield is used to try and divert arrows. Um, I, I read that the, the way they, they made up the shield, again, in Paul's time, was to, to put wood together and, and bind them together and put leather over it and then surround it with bits of metal so it was um, light enough to carry but it was strong enough that a flaming arrow or whatever would not go through it and would not burn and so therefore this was rather important that you had this in front of you and that it was uh, flexible enough to be carried so the shield of faith is that of course we talk a lot about having faith that faith in belief that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to help us in these battles, that he is going to protect us. And if we have faith in him, we have faith in what he has achieved for us, then we've got the shield. And that will withstand a lot of what's seen. It's the promises of God. And that's where a lot of faith, our faith is about. Do we believe in the promises of God? that whilst we're struggling in the battle, do we believe in the outcome? <coughs> then the fifth one is the helmet of salvation, which is the hope of salvation, hope of the future. And uh, we believe in the full salvation, the full deliverance from God. That the helmet is really is covering the main part of the body, the, the part that really needs proper protection. Uh, because if, if, if that, if Satan's uh, attacks get to our head, then we're more vulnerable than other parts of our body. So the helmet, the uh, helmet of salvation, this is the acceptance of God and our appreciation of the resurrection glory and being able to see that in the scriptures about the future is absolutely important that we go in there with a positive attitude that you're going forward positively, knowing that you're in the victor's side and that you're on the winning team. The sword of the Spirit is the last one, which of course speaks of the Word of God and it's referenced in other parts of scriptures, particularly um, in Hebrews 4, it's the sword is referred to as a sharper than a two-edged sword. 
in Revelation, it's what comes out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus. It's the, the word of God. And I think, again, it puts a tremendous importance, I think, that in a sword you have uh, something that's defensive and something that can be attacked. And, of course, you've got a, um, a piece of equipment that the Lord expects you to use in both of these, to defend him, defend his word, defend your position, but also to go out there in a positive way and attack the power of Satan. And you've got, in these six items, you have got all that is required to equip us with the... Uh, as Christians and as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just uh, after all of that, he then says in verse 18 that with all prayer and petition or your supplication, it may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. Oh, sorry, it, it may pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance. It's to pray at all times, uh, prayer and petition. Pray with perseverance and to make petition for all the saints. There's four things there. Just quickly want to mention, praying at all times is just the, the, the importance of prayer in all of this, that whilst we are talking about equipping ourselves uh, for action um, in, in our work for the Lord, it should be surrounded by prayer. That the relationship with God is important. Absolutely. To cement, if you like, the unity together uh, and the purposes that we have in discipleship in order that we are in tune with him. It's a bit like the army. If we don't have the, any, a line of communication with the, the guys that are um, pulling the strings, the generals, um, then you're very likely to fail and we need to be in tune with God and praying at all times doesn't mean constantly pray it means that you've got that attitude of communion with God I think I've said it many times that prayer doesn't mean necessarily although the scriptures do talk about going into your closet shutting the door and that's important but there's a general feeling that in your life you should be in constant contact with God and that means if you're driving your car or you're cycling, whatever you're doing, that there's no reason at all why you shan't be in communion with God. And you speak to him. And uh, you listen to him as he speaks to us and what's going on around about us. And it talks about um, prayer and petition. Is that the importance of that prayer doesn't just become a sort of repetitive, ongoing, you know, that, that sometimes you go to school and you get the, the Lord's Prayer repeated I mean, half the people, well, most youngsters that would repeat that prayer wouldn't understand what it's about. It's, um, it's just re repeating words. But when it talks about being in petition, it means it's specific. <coughs> and there are needs, times to be deciding before you go before God, specifically what you're going to talk to him about. What is it that's important right now? If there's something going on, in your life or your friends or your family then be specific it's not that God doesn't know but he just wants that relationship of you bringing the things as you would with a friend 
he'd come to a friend and say, I'm only telling you this. This is something I guess between us because I don't want generally other people to know about it. It's just something that I want to share. That's the relationship we should have with God. That he's, he's our friend. He knows intimately and therefore being praying and petitioning is something specific. We persevere as well. Just because he doesn't answer or give us the answer we want doesn't mean you pack it in. Unless you get a clear answer that God is saying no. Persevere. Because again, it's, it's to the relationship. It should be an ongoing thing anyway. You don't just pray when you've got a problem. And whenever I'm going fine, you don't bother with God. And then it says, make petition for all the saints. And now there's a challenge. For all the saints is that there is God's, uh, through Paul, God is putting a, an importance on the holy ones, <coughs> the ones that he separated, the flock. And he's saying pray for them particularly. And this is where again we, in the churches of God, we have the opportunity of praying for one another. <coughs> Letters of commendation are good because that gives us a little bit more of a unity and understanding the letters that come from Lord's servants give you a bit more information about what they're doing and as Paul was saying at the end and I haven't got time to go into the final bit but he's saying pray for me and he also said you should brethren that you should uh, comfort one another with me and he's in chains <laughs> he's suffering but he's saying to them Com you be comforted in what I'm doing and pray for me and that's what we should do for one another. It's good that we do that in Manchester, that we do have this um, interactive prayer. And maybe it's, we should do more of it. Um, but it's just, again, here's Paul highlighting this. Pray for me and don't be afraid to ask for prayer for yourself. And that's, again, what Paul, Paul said, pray for me. And that's if, if we have got problems, then... Just the final thing, let's share it. Uh, we know there's some things that you don't want to share, but there are a lot of things that you just, the power of prayer is something that we, we don't appreciate as well as we should. Shall we pray?